introduce myself. I'm so glad that everybody's here. I'm going to talk a little bit about kind of my experience with kindness and inclusion and why I decided to host this summit and then um, just give you a little overview of what's going on in the week. So my name is Natalie Charlotte. I'm a pediatric occupational therapist and uh, a piano teacher for children with special needs. I have had kind of an interesting journey with kindness and inclusion and so one of the reasons why I decided to host this summit is because I have kind of three different angles on raising children and how do we be kind and inclusive. And one of them is that when I was 26 years old, I was diagnosed with ADHD. And as a child, I grew up in the 80s and the 80s for anybody who's who are 80s babies really wasn't a, a place for children with sensory processing disorder. It wasn't something that was talked about. A lot of the parenting style at that time was very behavioral. So it was like, this is right, this is wrong, this is good, this is bad. Like you do this, you don't do that. And so when you have a child who has any sort of sensory processing difficulty and difficulty with perhaps attention and multitasking and kind of sitting still or more anxiety, that really doesn't fly or didn't fly in the 80s. And so growing up, I wasn't necessarily that bad kid because I was able to kind of push it down. Um, but I was always in trouble and not for like going out and breaking things, but just for being really forgetful, being disorganized, kind of being clumsy, um, not really kind of seemingly having my SHIT together like at all. And it especially didn't fly because my mother, um, is amazing and she is very type A and very like you do this like you're on top of it she's extremely on top of it and that's just not my jam like I'm not on top of it and I never have been and, and so it's one of those things where I know I can't change I, I was also part of my story is I was premature and so I have always been really sensitive to loud noises so that includes um, like fireworks uh, like fireplace noises I'm terrified of balloons um, birthday parties for me are like so anxiety provoking. So I grew up like that, but the way that it was handled was you need to get over this. You need to move past this. Like you, like meaning me, you have to do something to take that action yourself to stop this outcome, to stop this behavior, which internally I really could not help because it's when you have a, a processing difficulty or you just have anxiety about something or um, you have a feeling about something that's within, you can't stop it, right? Like it's a feeling. It's not, I'm not choosing to be afraid of balloons, right? Like that doesn't make sense, especially if I want to go to my friend's birthday parties. Like why would I choose to be anxious the whole time, um, you know, over something that nobody else seemed to be afraid of? So that's kind of how I grew up. I went to uh, school originally for piano pedagogy and performance. And throughout that time when I didn't have basically my mom and a lot of supports around, you know, undergraduate, through my undergraduate degree, I had a lot of trouble kind of like maintaining a more young adult life and following through on all my graduate degree things that I had to do. Um, there are a lot of performances. I had a lot of trouble kind of scheduling out my time, remembering performances, um, like remembering pieces within performances, like it was really hard for me. And I also didn't feel like I necessarily fit into 
that box of let's become the most elite performer. And then if you can't do that, you can teach. And so I already knew that I wasn't really for me. And I also felt like the comments I was getting from teachers, um, from a lot of them, not all of them, uh, were more like you don't have it because you have trouble remembering, you're too disorganized, you're too forgetful. It was just basically like a repeat of, of my childhood, only when I was a lot older. So I pursued um, a diagnosis because I was curious and my parents essentially hadn't really believed that something was like wrong with me. They hadn't really believed in um, ADD. It was ADD at the time, which you know, is more typical, a typical presentation for girls because they present without the hyperactivity mostly. Um, now it's all ADHD. But my parents were basically like, you need to learn how to help yourself versus relying on this diagnosis. And I understand that, but at the same time, when you or your child has a diagnosis, it can be very freeing in terms of understanding how you process information so that then you can take what you know and take what you've learned and then apply it to kind of other areas of your life and understand, have this deeper understanding of like, oh, I'm not a bad child, I'm not a bad person, like, this is just me. And I've come to a place now where, yeah, like I know when I go to the store, like I'm not gonna remember everything on the list. So I might have to go a couple times that day and that's okay for me. Or, um, you know, like most recently, I bought some early birthday presents for my son who has a birthday coming up and I forgot where I, I hid them. So I hid them somewhere in the house and then I was like, oh, this is amazing. He'll never find them. I hid them and then I didn't write down where I hid them and I, I couldn't find them for weeks. For two weeks, I could not find his birthday presents and then he found them um, himself. So that was interesting. Other things that I do are like, I can't remember my husband loves to put the silverware and certain things in the dishwasher, I cannot for the life of me remember where any of it goes. Like I can't remember the pattern. So it's just like, for me, just like putting things in the dishwasher, he likes to have the forks in one spot and the spoons. I can't remember like those things. Like I just, it just doesn't stick in my head. Um, so that's a little bit about me. And then my journey now is just more about like, okay, how do I get out of this box? And interestingly, or I guess not interestingly is then I became a mom and I have a child who is more neurodiverse. And so basically everything that he did was sort of confronting for me because of a lot of what I grew up with and how I wasn't able to express myself or really be accepted for kind of like who I am and who, how I process the environment. So I've had to work through kind of a lot of that and understand that for him, like he also doesn't fit into a box and how do I navigate that? And, um, that's been a really interesting journey for me, at which point now I feel like he's almost five. So five years in, I'm finally to a place where I'm understanding him better and how a lot of how I react to him is because how I was treated as a child, no fault of anybody's, because just everyone's doing their best, right? Was, um, I, was, I was basically taking my wounds and putting it onto him, right? And so I have that going on. So I have my own aspect of having ADHD, I have uh, the parental aspect of raising a child who's more neurodiverse and kind of navigating that. And then the third thing is, after I went into piano pedagogy and performance, I actually switched and I uh, evolved it and I went back to school for occupational therapy. Um, and I became a pediatric occupational therapist, you know, more heavily involved in the neurology piece of things. And I worked with, and I still do work with children with sensory processing disorder, mostly. And so I have, that aspect too, where I became a professional, 
to help children. I was a huge advocate of inclusion. Like I wrote a couple books on it, which I completely forgotten about because I was pregnant and or had a one-year-old. So like that time of my life, like it's like a big black hole. But I made these really cool books. I started a nonprofit um, that supported children in, in participating in sports activities uh, who had different needs. And so educating, you know, uh, instructors and, and, and um, coaches on how do we become more inclusive in terms of how we teach and how we engage the children and things like that. So I also have that aspect of things, but I realized from that, when you become like a professional or a therapist, a lot of the times we are taught as professionals to look for the dysfunction and then fix it. So I was very much like, look for the problem and then I'll fix it. Look for, um, you know, what's going on, what's wrong, and then we adapt and I fix it. But innately, when I'm sitting there looking at children for problems, that's not inclusive. And it's not to say that I don't want to help them and support them in a way so that they're not struggling in any area of their life or so that things become easier for them. But at the same time, I don't want to change them and I don't want to put them into this box. And so a lot of what I talk about just personally and on my pages, having these boxes for kids, specifically with diagnoses. And what it can do is it can provide this understanding for us like, oh, that's why we have a child or this child is acting like this. But at the same time, it can become this thing where we're like, okay, this child, for example, has ADHD and then they stay in that box and then they're not able to kind of switch out of that box. So it's like we have to get them into the box to understand what's going on and then take them out. And then as a whole, be able to like as other parents, as other children, be able to understand that that child is just processing the environment differently. How can we support them in that environment? How can we talk to our children about how to involve that child? explain to them maybe what that child is going through and how you, we can as children and also as parents, like kind of join in and facilitate that play. And then also just accept and understand them for what they're doing if it's not the social norm, right? Like they don't fit into that normal neurotypical box and being okay with that, which again goes back to growing up in the eighties for a lot of us and even the nineties when it really wasn't acceptable to be kind of anywhere different and still our world is made for neurotypical people. And so that is just the box that we are currently living in. And so part of this in a very roundabout way is taking kind of these three facets of my life, like the personal aspect of growing up with ADHD in the eighties, the aspect of having kids and then having one be more uh, neurodiverse and how I'm navigating that. And then the third is being a pediatric occupational therapist and, and, outwardly advocating for inclusion, but then realizing as I become a parent and I'm raising this child who's a little different, being like, I am not inwardly, I have an embodied kindness and inclusivity. And as much as I outwardly advocate it, unless I have embodied that and I'm really practicing it like minute by minute and I'm really talking to my children about it and, and it's a part of our being, I'm not going to be part of that change, right? Like it's just this facade. And so I felt like, okay, I want to be kind. I want to be inclusive. It's not something that I was necessarily given or even taught um, as a child. I was taught to be nice and polite. I wasn't taught to accept others for their differences. It's not something that was discussed. It wasn't something that I was exposed to. Um, it, and, and even for myself, I felt different, but that's as far as I, I got, right? Like it was just like, oh, you're different. And that was it. Like I didn't have an acceptance of myself and understanding of myself, what was going on, nothing. 
So coming from that place, going into a field that really advocates outwardly for inclusion and then realizing that, oh wait, I actually haven't embodied any of this. I outwardly talk about it. I've written books about it. I started a nonprofit about this, but at the same time, I don't talk to my children about being kind. I don't talk to other parents when I see them about being kind. Like, you know, a lot of it, and you think about this too, when you're talking to other parents, it's a lot of like, oh, what'd your child do today? Oh, um, it, and it turns into a, a more of a behavioral talk. Like, oh, well, we had to do this or he couldn't do this. And so we had to switch things around. That's a terrible example, but it, it doesn't go into the facets of how do we be kind and how do we be inclusive? And so a lot of it, I felt like even when I was interacting with parents, wasn't like, oh, let's include this child or, or what would happen if this child fell down? Can we even go include that, that child? Or what if this child couldn't walk? And, and even playing like that um, never happened. And I don't, at this point, the, the children that my kids have been exposed to don't have visible disabilities. And, and the, I'm sure that a lot of them do have invisible ones, but not visible ones. And so I wasn't talking to them about how brains process information differently or anything like that. And then um, in terms of just being inclusive, like you have to be kind first. You have to really embody kindness to then be an inclusive person, right? Like I can't be unkind and then look at other people, understand what they're going through, accept them. Like be open to learning, understand and accept them, be kind, and then be inclusive. Like I can't, I have to go through all those steps to really be inclusive and then talk to my kids about it and be comfortable with that. Like if I'm not comfortable with it, and I feel like a lot of parents aren't, just given how we are raised and what we're exposed to in our experiences, we can't talk about it with our children, right? And we don't. And, and sometimes I feel like even when we start to bring it up, we're like, oh, is this wrong? Like, I don't know what I'm doing. And I felt like this. And that's my, that's my profession. That's my profession. Okay, so now I'm getting a little fired up and I'm wearing long underwear, so I'm super hot. But um, that's basically how I decided to start this summit is because I just wanted parents to have a place where they could listen and join in a conversation if they wanted to or, or a discussion around how do we raise kind and inclusive kids because it's something that I think is kind of thrown out there, like very surface level. But when it's surface level, it turns into niceness and politeness. And that's not really kindness. And again, you need kindness for understanding and acceptance and inclusivity. So that's really where we're going with this. This whole summit is, is more focused on how are we inclusive around and towards and with people with disabilities. So that's visible disabilities and invisible disabilities. Um, because inclusivity in itself is a huge topic. And so I am just focusing this summit on what my profession has exposed me to, because it's a place that feels more tangible for me to start. Not that anything else or any other differences are not important. Um, this is just coming from personal experience. Where am I going to start? I'll start here. And so that's why this summit is happening. We have a lot of really amazing speakers. Um, that I'm really excited about. And it's just a place to come and listen. They're going to be short. This is tailored to parents. If you know any parents who are interested in raising kind and inclusive kids, and I'm sure parents outwardly would say yes, yes. Um, but again, it has to be something where you have parents who are willing to kind of sit, listen, and then reflect on their own experiences 
reflect on how they grew up, reflect on how they're currently parenting, and then how can they take little steps. And at the end of this summit, I am going to put together um, a program that highlights everything. And again, this is part of this is for me, right? Like I started this summit because I felt like I wasn't doing a good job being inclusive or kind, especially embodying it and then teaching it to my children. So I want a place where it's like, okay, when I go to the playground, like I can do these three things to start with. And that's kind of how my brain works too, like having something tangible and practicing it until it becomes like a, a natural habit, a subconscious habit, and then I don't have to think about it, right? It's embodied. So I'm going to put together highlights from all of these talks um, that will be available at the, at the end. And uh, I'm also doing, and I have done these really short stories, snippets, insights from parents around their experience with themselves or with their children um, with regards to inclusivity and kindness. And so that's up on a podcast. I started a podcast. It's called Full Circle from Parents to Children. <laughs> Full Circle from Parents to Children. And on there, there are all of these stories that range from like four minutes to you know 20 minutes. And they're really, really fascinating and I've already learned so much from these parents just sharing like what they went through like what do they do in certain situations like I took my son to school in first grade and the teacher said that she couldn't handle him like what do I do like things like that that are very confronting or like yeah I realized I was going somewhere and my my children saw someone who was different and they started to laugh like what do I do like and this has happened to I think a lot of us a lot of these stories so that's a really good place to start too I did post some of the snippets in here but if you want the full episodes, I just put them on this podcast and you can go through and they're really, I don't talk at all. So if you don't like the way I talk, I'm not in it. It's just different parents speaking and it's really great. So I have that. Um, and yeah, if you have any questions throughout this, certainly reach out and comment. Uh, if you can join live, it's always better. I, I really can't see anything. I don't know who's here or comments. Oh, hello. I can see I'm in the right place. Well, that's good because now I'm 13 minutes in, so that would be a total bummer. But thank you for joining. If anybody has any specific questions for me, I am going live tomorrow on my talk called Sensory Stuff, which is such a funny name because when I was thinking of a name for my talk, I was like, I don't want to be in any boxes. Like, I'm getting out of these boxes. I must have been in wild mode. And I was like, you know, F the boxes. That's not for me. And so I just came up with Sensory Stuff. And then last night I was like, that's a really weird name for a, a talk, Natalie, you know, what are you, what are you going to talk about? And, um, but it's going to be really good. It's about how you can recognize as a parent, if there's any sensory issues going on, so that then you can talk to your child about it and then help facilitate your child getting involved in the play. Because a lot of sensory things are growing up in the eighties are like those bad kids. And so it's, it's how do we understand and learn from it and then shift it. Right. So that's what I'm going to be talking about tomorrow morning. We have Another speaker today, which is going to be really, really great, um, Jessica Fru. She has cerebral palsy, and she's an advocate, and she's just this really incredible woman. Um, she uses an eye gaze uh, tracker to talk, which is also really amazing to see, and it's going to be really great. I would highly encourage your children also to be involved in this. Um, and, you know, I think it's this is a place to start for them. But if you don't even know where to start, you can start just by showing them these videos. Perhaps not mine, because I think I dropped a few F-bombs. I don't know why. Sorry about that. But, okay, thank you so much for coming. 